All right, so real quick, back to stealing water. So just so we're clear, I put water on the table. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't because hear that. I just uh. I didn't want to talk to you about it anymore because I I, I spend. I spend like $5 per episode on the show on, for water. Now, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I was under the impression. Uh-huh. Because I saw that big... Mm-hmm. I saw that big... That's what I was waiting for. I saw that big... Right, so should I, I'll wait for this to... Wait for what? I'll wait for the song to, to make my point as to why I what drink point? so much water. My point about water. Drinking it. Bathing in it. It's gray water, by the way. I refill them with gray water. Do you know what gray water is? No. It's used water oh, from please, bathtubs. and Please tell me that's you don't really do that. <laughs> Maybe we'll discuss gray water with our guests in a little bit. Um, Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. Right, back to your defense. Uh, yeah, my of defense wa- is... Of drinking all my water. When we, no, I'm parched already just having this argument. Okay, see, but that's know. what you should do. You should grab one no, in the beginning. You grab one in the beginning, so at least you have one. But when, I fir- when we first recorded over here, when we moved from the Herald to your house... Mm-hmm. And you were like, yeah, to- oops, sorry. Jesus. It's fine. It happens uh, every week. Don't worry. So I, I, I was like, okay, so I, I, brought, I brought some water with me. Mm-hmm. And then I look over and there is a bin, a, like a basket full of water. Oh, like and, Santa Claus. Did it have your name on it? Just out of curiosity. No, oh, but okay. you go, oh, that my wife gets that from work. No, she doesn't. That's what I thought you said. That's, yeah, you thought. <laughs> because it said no, Let's just go back to the other part where like I don't understand why I have to like this is a dinner table of a family of 15 where I have to fight for like my portions in advance. I can't just go back to the well during the show when I'm actually legitimately parched. Well, my advice would I love have the been, happy music uh, by the way adv- underneath our My advice would discussion. have been to bring more water. Anyway, that's Down your here. advice to who? To, to yourself? You, to you. If you had more water, we wouldn't have to fight over something. Well, you actually come with water on top of it. I know, but then I finish it. And which is funny, maybe all the guests know in advance that you're going to drink everything because they all seem to bring their own stuff. I think everybody's a little more calm. They have like the coffee or... or, or more calm. Water, water. Well, Erin had like seven drinks. She, she brought, did. Like, she does. She brings everywhere she goes. Well, she also likes to bring all the liquid meals everywhere she goes. She's, she's into that whole thing. I know. I wanna, I'm going to try that. She's but. into like exercise, healthy thing, beauty, like all those things that we're not into so. i am into it dude i want to try a juice which one the beauty thing or? definite beauty <laughs> uh inner beauty i'm into inner beauty fair enough that's but that's what beet juice is for i'm gonna try beauty. not beet juice but i'm gonna try a juice thing i'm gonna try i'm gonna you get gonna a do it we've done it we've done the juicer things you, I, I can you and your wife or you oh, and your yeah, wife and yeah, your yeah. kids no, i'm never the guy that's on the internet going we should totally try this juice diet now i did the one <laughs> she comes home and goes hey we I should had try. some time yeah. at work today, and I did some online research. Yes, she does. <laughs> and then she group on something, and then the next go. thing you know, because it's expensive to do those things. It's yeah. really expensive. It's to do like those 150 things. for one day of one juice cleanse yeah. in this place in my neighborhood. I was like, uh. I did the master cleanse back in the day. This is before I got married when I, when I liked to look at my poop. And it was like, because that's what you did it for. <laughs> like, people were like, oh my God, you should totally do the master cleanse. Some weird stuff comes out of you. And you're like, no. And they're like, seriously, try it. What? And Are then you you're just like, did I just about? shit last year's spaghetti? Why? And is you're just really excited and you're like wait a minute is that still alive like it's just a lot of things are going on and you're just oh, really excited that's... and then I got over that because I grew up because I got married and had kids so uh, oh yeah you're super mature I'm now totally mature <laughs> yeah. now by the way um, last night when I was lying in bed with my shirt off because it is we're in the middle of a heat wave mm, you don't have air conditioning I do and that's but that's how hot it is you know yeah. the, these no, you're the, right. Southern California homes there's no insulation in those yeah so um, our bedroom is up; it's elevated, so the the, the rises, it's, baby. yeah, and it just rises right into my my area around my bed. You can't <laughs> even flip the pillow. Off. Anyway, I have my shirt off, and I realize that now that I'm in my 40s, I am literally growing some sort of bean field on my chest, and it was just <laughs> disgusting. And I thought, oh my god, she still stays next to me. 
when I do this. And I, and I thought to myself, when, I, when I'm done with the shows today, I'm actually going to trim my chest. I, I have to. I've done it before, and it just comes back, and it's just gross. Well, it sounds gross. And I can use the same stuff to, like, clean pans. It's just... <laughs> I think at this point, though, your wife is like, who else is going to learn how to take care of the kids when I'm gone? <laughs> I serve she, a purpose. She, yeah, if, you did, if, there were, like, if there were no kids, maybe she'd be like, yeah, I got to get out of here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm not... I mean, you have a very lovely family. So what I'm saying is, next time, just bring water. I, Your own water. All right, so I'll just bring. You know what? I'm gonna. I'll bring a lot of water, and I won't let you have any. Oh, can I do one more thing, John? This is a treat for you, and then we'll bring in our guest here. God, I did it? something. Yes. So, um, if you've been passively or actively or aggressively listening, I apologize. I hope you've been. Otherwise. I hope you've been aggressively listening, listening to, to the, the show. podcast. Yeah. Then you know that my dogs hate John. Like, hate him with a passion. We all know that. So, what I did was <laughs> I did a little test. I uh, I sent John a video that he and I did years oh ago. Oh my god, that was so funny! And we talked I, about that. That was where I get I get a little drunk during like a morning shoot. Yes, yeah. So I I was when I found the video, I decided to play the video, uh, oh. and I was playing the video, and you started talking, and, and from two levels up in my house, Frank the dog was like bark bark, uh-uh. fuck you, John, bark bark, and I was like, he's not even here. So I did a test to make sure that he wasn't barking at something else. So this is, uh, this is the right. test. I am sitting in the room with Frank the dog. This is a test <laughs> to show how much Frank, who's very quiet and serene and relaxing right now, hates the sound of John Huck's voice, which in uh. turn means he hates the hell out of John Huck. Here we go. Look, I don't think this is that bad, okay? I'm yelling. No, no, he still hates you. I'm yelling, though. I think that's... He didn't start barking immediately upon hearing my voice. He waited till I was screaming. Every so, time. He hates you, John. Are uh, you going to say that the dog does not hate no, you? No, no, no. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say he might not have the voice recognition it, brain. Or it p- may not have been the most valid you. argument I've ever, cre- I've ever had. No, but, but he did bark at my voice, and yeah, he does hate me. I pull up. I text you, and they start barking. Yeah, enough about us. Doug Dresser is with us. Hello, Doug. Doug, how are you? Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks now, for John, you and Doug don't really know each other. This is going to sound like a magic trick up front. You, you guys, too, just so we're clear, the, for the audience, you two do not know each other. That is correct. You've never met before this day. <laughs> and okay. I, and I want I want to say that I, I, when we first started doing this show, I was like, oh, I should look up people I don't know on IMDb or, or find information about them. And I found that the less I know going in, the better, the more exciting it is for me as a person to find out stuff. Yeah. So that's why I. Does don't. that make you the color commentator? So you don't really have to know anything about the technicalities of the game. You just kind of. Uh, you know what? Kind of bad. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of my strong suit, not really preparing and then just showing up. That sounds like a fantastic Hollywood plan. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> it's gotten me here. <sighs> yeah, it's gotten to the basement of the my basement, house. Ba- Eagle Rock, baby. <laughs> Basement of Eagle Rock. It's on the podcast map now. This this is a very hot area for podcasts. It yeah. is. Well, you I know. think that's what people think too. Is the area? What area is your podcast done in? Oh, I'll listen to it. Oh, you it's think that? You think no, that? I don't. Think well, that no. That this is the Mark, Mark Maron controls everything, and everyone knows where Mark Maron does his <laughs> podcast. Like he comes down and like looks over ours, and he's like, mm, "This is acceptable." Uh, I'm sorry. Did the president not show up to his podcast? Yeah, yeah. that's what I said. No, no, but, okay. But when you say he runs everything, he runs. 
owns his own podcast. Well, he, what I'm saying, but he, he, like, he was pretty much the, the guy that broke the grounds for people to go, all right, oh. fine, I'm going to go ahead and start listening to podcasts. And we're yeah. all sharing Mark Maron's audience, is what I'm saying. Any other podcaster <laughs> is sharing yeah. his podcast listeners. Yeah. And ours yeah. just happens to be within a mile of his. Yeah, exactly. So this I is have better. A, I, have a, uh, I have an entourage of highway patrolmen, police officers, and Secret Service just outside the door. We tented right the whole now. area. You're, you walked That's under right. a Snipers cupboard. on the roof. Perfect. <laughs> and the president's not even here. That's just what, how Doug rolls. So every that's day. what he does. Every that's day. how I roll. But the thing, the funny thing is of Doug saying this um, is that Doug, um, how I know Doug is because obviously I used to work in locations and you, I was talking to a guy that used to work for me, James, and I remember uh, when you stopped by once and he was like, Doug Dresser. Doug Dresser's like, the rock star of location managers in Hollywood. And I was like, okay, because he's a dad at my school, and I know him as, like, a dad. That's it. And I know him as another ran... guy who doesn't really want to volunteer for crap, but has to anyway. But no, I've had that happen because, again, we've talked about this in the past, the Herald Examiner was such a popular filming location that yeah. you would just run into people at every once in a while. Since I've had kids, I have these very awkward exchanges with people who stare at each other because you're in a different environment, and you can't quite figure out like why you know each other. You just assume somewhere in Hollywood you've crossed exactly. paths. Yeah. And you and I, I think we were sitting in the lobby and you just kind of brought up to you all of a sudden realized, oh yeah. Yeah. And you just you told me who how we knew it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Kids. No idea. Yeah, no, it was uh yeah, I came to scout. Yep. After you you because I don't know if everybody knows this, but this isn't uh, Brian's only gig. Yeah. <laughs> He does but, other things. Uh, he uh, every morning he likes to welcome the entire school with announcements. Can you use of that term likes. <laughs> he likes to. He, he likes gets to. to. He gets to. He he really uh, he has a he has an audience of five hundred people every week. It's a weekly gig. So you try find the size of those people if you could. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I would say half of them are of the shorter variety. It's quantity, not quality. All right, uh, fair enough. But so so he goes up and he does five <clears throat> minutes. Obviously, sometimes he kills. Sometimes Sometimes he, you know, sometimes he just, you know, he, you know, flops. It, it That's happens. That's Doug's favorite part. And, uh, and so I show up and, and you and I had known each other years ago, but I didn't. And I always was like, oh, that guy seems kind of familiar. Yeah. I show up to Scout. I was doing the pilot for Hand of God. Hand of God, which now is available. actually a really good show. Oh, now uh, available on Amazon. Yeah, for Ron streaming. Perlman. I was just going to start do, watching did, that. Just stop for one second. Do, have you watched the show? Yeah. Okay, okay, good. We'll yeah. talk about that in a second. Yeah, I've, I've seen the pilot. I haven't seen the rest okay. of them. Because <laughs> they, just the on, on. <laughs> they just came on this week. <laughs> and oh, they just came on this week. I haven't had a chance to watch any of it, so let's not like We're not going to wreck anything. I was just curious if you watched his work. All right, Available um, for Amazon Prime members, yes. of course, and uh, and he comes up Which and I, I and we set up a scout and I come in and he walks out the door and I'm like, oh, that's where I know Brian from. <laughs> he comes running out the door. He's got like four things going on and he's like trying to park base camps and here comes the scout and uh, I'm like, uh, yeah, hey, what's up? <laughs> and he's looking at me like, I go, yeah, you know, you do the announcements every morning at Mount Washington, and he goes. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, I try to forget those. And he then forgot over. me. He well, forgot me. Like I might be the rock star, but he was. You know, he's the he's the busy venue manager that uh, that but, didn't remember who it was. But let me explain <laughs> the concept because I, you know, the funny thing is, for as long as I've worked in the business, there are d- things about this business that I never understood, and and the reason why 
James, who worked with me, said that was because there was a time, and you and I have had this conversation, you were considered a location executive, and I didn't even know that <laughs> existed. So I know that's kind of we're starting in the middle, but explain to us yeah. what exactly that means. Because there's location managers who just do what you do, but then you were an executive. Well, I wasn't an executive. That's what, I, he, that's what he called you I had a, at a studio job. I had a full-time job at one particular studio for Screen Gems at Sony. But so that's I not typical, there. though, is it? No, or was it typical at some No, point? it was not. Okay, so explain to me what that actually means. Mean. It was full time for four and a half years at one company, wow. one studio, doing so, locations. But how do you yeah. do that though? So because I mean, there's got to be overlap and all these things, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. What we would do is, and then there's downtime. So what I would do is, they would have at the time we were doing, you know, up to eleven movies a year, and I would be scouting, budgeting, prepping. Um, movies when there wasn't anything going on. I would look at scripts and I would be able to... And we and I wasn't the only person. We kept essentially a, a production team that was there the whole time. Wow. And, um, and then I would location manage the movie if there was... I would have the one in first position. If a second movie came up that was greenlit, I would hire a location manager or bring someone in and suggest them to the producer very strongly. And But when that location manager came in, I'd say, here are your locations. <laughs> Here's your budget, wow. and um, <laughs> and you know you would have a shorter prep period because a lot of the groundwork had been done for you already. So, so you're actually you weren't just being a boss and just coordinating. You were actually on yeah. the streets as well, sure. finding yeah. the locations. Yeah, and we were doing you know we were doing we were doing pretty well. It was it was kind of it was smaller genre pictures. So mm-hmm. it was basically it was a model that was about twenty million bucks. So it was like per, per, armored. Per. With, uh, you know, with uh, Matt Dillon and uh, Jean Renault, and then it was um, Fired Up, the cheerleading movie that was directed by Will Gluck. Yeah. We did um, Friends with Benefits with Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. We did Obsessed with Idris Elba and with Beyonce. And then we made a couple of movies that we, that we went a little bigger. We made, um, we made um, Burlesque and we made Priest for about 60 and they didn't do quite as well as we hoped and kind of went back down to doing twice. And, 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 and when you say you did it for four and a half years, did at some point you just not want to be that guy or did it just kind of dissolve itself? Like how do it kind of, it kind of dissolved. Okay. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed working there and I enjoyed the people that I So you didn't at. mind having a, no. I mean, I guess who would mind having a steady gig? No, no, no. That's, but that's, some people don't want a steady job. I mean, am I yeah. being ridiculous by saying that? Yeah. Some people like the change and be able to kind of have yeah. that freedom and yeah. not want to have to report. Yeah, it was great. I, you know, I had my two children during that time. You did, okay. Yeah. So, so it was uh, it was nice to be home while everybody else was going off to New Orleans and New Mexico yeah. and um, all of those places. I I stayed home every day, which was fantastic. That is nice. And I think once you have a family, the security like you still want to work in something you love, but then the security, oh Jesus, Christ. it's okay, it's all right. It happens. We everybody keeps hitting microphones. Every time. <laughs> That's, right. That's, That's out right. with my hands. Just um, but the security. Of being able to do because you're still doing something different all the time. You're still sure. yeah, looking yeah. for different things and working on different movies and and then, but it's still a steady gig is so rare yeah. in this city. It's, and it was still a production gig. It was yeah. still you know yeah yeah yeah. And it Get was, to flex your uh, the staying your home thing. There. Sometimes I forget about that because I've obviously never <clears> had to leave. But I, yeah. I when I when I did actually leave, I got out of the business for a while. Sure, and everything was great in town. And then yeah. the market just and then everyone yeah. was gone. And when I remember when I got back in the business. I felt bad for a lot of the location people that I dealt with because they had families, they had established themselves here, and they're all over the world trying sure. to find work, and they were not happy. And, and I'm sure you, you, you know, we lost a lot of people during that. A lot of locations they got out of the sure. business because they yeah. just need the family was first, and they had to get out because yeah, 
there was no work for them. Exactly. When when my wife and I, you know, one of the things I got I got into locations about is because I love to travel and I love to make movies, and this was the perfect job that afforded me to do both. And and I've 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 done a lot of traveling. I've worked in twenty two different countries. Wow. Probably fourteen states, and you know, not all of them, but you know, but definitely been around and. When my wife and I first met and moved in together, we moved in two weeks after we moved in together. I was gone for 10 of the first 12 months we lived together. (laughs) Now, how long were you guys together before that? Including four months in Romania and then four months in the Bahamas. Oh, so you were loving it. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's bizarre. So my wife... What does your wife do? She she is in... She works now for a natural birthing center and... uh, and she used to work for a. Uh, she at that time she worked for a um, a person in town, a counselor and life coach. She's oh, a normal person. person. Yeah, she, yeah. she works in a normal. Pro. Yeah, not, but did yeah. she kind of understand like before you guys moved in together what you? Yeah, did you know, I, in the... I think I famously said to her, I said, you know, if you if you really do want to get in a relationship with me, you'll get a lot of stamps in your passport. <laughs> and she that did. was your pitch. That was. Well, my I thought you were saying, and then she never went anywhere with no, me. She I, and then no, I she loved didn't. her. Yeah, for years on end, we worked through that. Which is having children. After the Screen Gems gig ended, um, I was gone. I I left to go do the first Hunger Games movie. Oh, holy shit! And uh, and I went and I was in North Carolina for seven months. And we had the kids were young at the time; they were one and four. So they they're can, nightmares right. at that time. Can we just be very clear? <laughs> Whoever you you <laughs> left nightmares with your wife, okay? Right. But I did have them. I did rent a house, and they did come out for the summer. And oh, you're like, the weekend within, daddy. No, no, they came out, and we rented this fantastic house in Asheville, North Carolina, and. <laughs> And it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Asheville was was great. Yeah, North. Really great yeah, it's, city. I've been there once, and it was yeah fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it was fun to you know we, you kind of knew nobody knew what the Hunger Games was going to be at the time, but we kind of knew it okay. was going to be something that was that was big. Now well, you say you kind of knew just based on reading the script and kind of knowing how the popularity of the books and all that and pop, the books were growing in their popularity oh, as we were, were making okay. it because okay. they uh they kind of they, the both the script and the movie announcement and the and the books were kind of, you know, when they when they acquired the script, I think it either just been published or was about to be published. Wow. Okay. So they so were it was still a kind of risk. working on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, everything's was. a risk. But absolutely, there was. Yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. When you kind of you felt like this is probably going to be something. Um, have you worked on something where you were like, this is probably going to be nothing, uh, but we have to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, look. There's all. There's. There's always. You know. Then. Then. Then they say that the. Um, then they say, like, you know, you, you, there's also movies you think, oh, my God, we're going to win an Academy Award. What and was then, the biggest disappointment yeah, to you? Because yeah. it's not, we're, just so you know, I mean, so you don't have to worry about <laughs> how we talk. We, we don't bash here. Right, But sure. we just try to tell real stories. So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, you go in sometimes, you're like, yay, and then it just doesn't quite work out the way you thought. Well, I think, I think the one that I thought that everyone was like, you know, was um, The Kite Runner. Did The Kite Runner. You remember The Kite Runner? It was uh, directed by Mark Forster and... Uh, it was set in Afghanistan in the 1970s. I do remember and, a little bit, yeah. Uh, it was about, but essentially, like, we thought, okay, this is fantastic. 
what it really came down to is it was a movie that that involved the rape of a child, and it was very heavy and very you know it was over a time period of Afghanistan, turning from like this from the seventies and the kind of idyllic kind of like like wonderful middle class world that it became into Taliban times, and we shot it in Western China on the border of Pakistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, and um, and in the in the Uyghur autonomous region of Xinjiang. And I have no idea. <laughs> Thing you just said, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> it sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> so we we went into a place that uh, was the westernmost city in China on the Silk Road before you get into Central Asia and and passing into Af- into all of these countries. There's a it's an ethnic minority of nine million people that are cousins of the Afghani's, and so they are they're Muslim. They speak a dialect. Um, that's fairly similar. They look very similar, but they're Chinese citizens. And we went there because there was unrest. We were, the war was going on, and um, we couldn't. We didn't want to make a movie about the Taliban in any of the typical kind of countries. I think Jordan wasn't really a filming destination then. Morocco was busy, but there were some kind of things going on, and China seemed to be the logical place. But we uh, nobody had ever made a movie there before. Logistics were very difficult, and it was the hardest movie I ever made, and one that we really thought we made a really good movie. What was the budget? I don't know. Bigger. Okay, so so bigger. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. It wasn't like a little tiny movie where you were. It was a DreamWorks movie. It was, you know, and it was uh, directed by by a really fantastic director and written by a great writer and produced by fantastic. You know, it was like it could have been like. And. And it was just a, uh, it was a, it was a difficult, it was, you know, we came back and we screened the movie and we were I remember we did a screening at like, for a variety and I was on a panel and, and uh, I remember Meg Ryan came up to me afterwards and she goes, that movie was the, one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, holy shit, it's yeah. Meg Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm making a great movie. I was yeah. like, I was like, that's amazing. I'm like, we're going to win, we're gonna win the Academy Award. Yeah. It was released and, and it was a big book. So people, it had a following. And uh, one of the kids came out and said they, that even though he, he, they said, you know, they, they didn't really tell us about the rape part. Uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, it was very, we were very clear that. Of course, know, they, you know, hiring you know, a child. And it was kind of, it was essentially a shakedown, I think. My personal opinion, and um, and the you studio have was very, these shows. and the student and the studio was very sensitive about it. And well, they, yeah. and they and they kind of just kind of movie kind of just went away a little bit, uh. and for something that was the hardest job that I ever done, I was kind of disappointed with that. Oh well, yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. We, the 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 Silk Road, as you know, they have been. Uh, they have been trying to, um, <laughs> let's just say, that uh, tourist caravans have been uh, have been exploited for thousands of years, and they kind of considered us to be the greatest caravan of goods trading yeah. in, that they had ever seen. <laughs> I mean, they and just... so it was literally just every day was just a fight, and it was a. Um, it was really an amazing. Like we, from everything from negotiating, we did it. We did a scene. We did some scenes where we had. We're on the Karakoram Highway, which is the highest, highest elevated, continuously open highway in the world. It's like 10,000 feet. And it goes from China to Pakistan. And we were shooting it as um, the Khyber Pass in Afghanistan. And half of it was 
was paved, half of it was dirt, and it was very busily, heavily traveled. And I had to, there was no place where we wanted to shoot, there was no place to stay. So I had to go to a group of local Kyrgyz tribesmen and who are yak herders, and I had to negotiate with them for to to they they have a winter residence and in the summer there are nomadic people following their herds in the hillsides where they live in yurts and i had to go and negotiate 20 yurts for our crew to stay in for five days and i had to have this negotiation over tea and sitting in a in a kind of grimly coal lit smoky filled room where i was trading um I said, look, I'll give you, I'll, I need to buy sleeping bags. I need to buy heaters. I need to buy things. And, and let's, you give us the yurts. I'll give you all the stuff when we're done. Be a great deal. And give you some money. And, uh, and so, you know, in the negotiation, I have a translator and I have, um, and I have somebody in the, and we, he says, uh, Douglas, he says, you do not have to provide the coal stoves to heat the crew. He will provide these, um, these, these, um, these stoves for you. I said, oh, okay, fantastic. That sounds like we're going to do that. And he goes, but um, I do not believe you should accept this deal. And I said, well, why not? And he said, these heating stoves that he is going to provide to you um, are um, yak shit burning. <laughs> yeah, how do you say? The yak, the yak shit? The yak shit yeah. burning? No burn coal or wood. They burn <laughs> yak shit. <laughs> and uh, so I had to. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Hmm. Maybe I'll get it. So it was, you know, so we basically we had 10 crew members to a yurt at 10,000 feet in October. And um, and no burning yak shit. No burning yak shit. And wow. So that's the kind of movie making that we were doing. And it was it was amazing after, you know, when you kind of when I was in it, it was it was insane. But uh, yeah, they could make a movie about you making that movie. Yeah. Well, sure this is what we talk about a lot. Um amongst locations people is that it's people see it in the credits right. but i don't really think that they really truly understand i don't think they understand anything past the actors and director <laughs> so i mean and and, and doug uh, you know is is i think i would consider you more of the extreme version where you've probably done all levels of movies some people mm-hmm. just stay within the independent world and they've got their crazy stories too but i mean sure. you're that story alone <laughs> Right, you could live I mean, off that insane. one that's for the insane. next, you know, thirty years. That's yeah. insane because you... of what you had to do, and and so I think I'd like to take a step back, yeah, and actually just um, educate uh, people on exactly what that process is and what it actually means to be a location manager. Because you are there in the beginning, you have to be in the beginning mm-hmm. because this whole look of the film mm-hmm. really depends on what you're able to do. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. It starts with a blank page. It starts with, or it starts with a a, a script and words on a page and you have a very big part with the designer and with the director and seeing what they what they're looking for is going and actually finding the actual physical locations to shoot the movie in your mind but you have you so you talk to them with with you have you how do you develop your process do you actually just read it you don't communicate with them you go get ideas and you present them or is it vice versa you try to talk to them first and then or does it depend on the job it depends on the job but it usually is you know sometimes i'm hired before the not usually before the designer but occasionally like you'll be on before before you know some of the creative team um so the, you're kind of spitballing in. at that point of how yeah. you see it going yeah and, and look if there's hospitals if it's okay interior hospital day right you say okay great 
here are the hospitals. Where could, first you say, where are you going to shoot it? Yeah. Are we shooting in Los Angeles? Are we shooting in Atlanta? Yeah. Are we shooting in incentive st- fill in incentive state right. here? <laughs> or are we shooting in whatever those seventeen <laughs> names that you said earlier? Or are we shooting in in you know in the in the Uyghur Autonomous Region of Xinjiang. <laughs> yes, that, that, that place. <laughs> in Western China. Uh, so you look, at, you look at those things and you say, okay, great, okay. And, and sometimes it says, exterior, Shanghai skyline, you know? And you go, okay, great, cool. And we're going to Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> Note to <laughs> self. Honey, pack the bags. Um, get the frequent flyer cards ready. Um, and like, but, but sometimes it's, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's, exterior alley you know and that can sometimes be broad so you don't know if or you know middle suburban middle class house okay well there's do you want it to be modern do you want it to be you know you kind of you have certain things that you then ask the designer the director how do you see this what do you think you want so you can kind of narrow it in do you do you appreciate more or a little less uh description in a script when you're reading it like uh, cuz you say like middle class house could be you can interpret that any like you said any way and, and yeah, then it, there's it, some people that are like and everything is very modern and Frank Lloyd Wright and whatever that, and that, and that sometimes that happens yeah. i mean it depends obviously if it's a writer director they're going to put more info into it sometimes if it's a writer that's selling the script i think that they make it so that the the director, director can or anybody can, can make their own decisions. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that varies in the development process and how you're trying to sell the script and how it's being kind of, kind of made. And sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's just a little more broad. But we then go out. We go out and we take photographs. We go out and find the place first. We get a list of you know places to go. And we literally go. And sometimes we have a files that we have because it's what we do. And yeah. we have a, kind of an inventory. Reference, you have inventory, yeah. And sometimes we go through services, and then sometimes you go out and you just knock on doors, and you go and you kind of find what specifically, you know, is written. And, and it's often a combination of all of this. We then, afterwards, after we go and find the place, and we pick the location, and we negotiate the deal, we do all the permits, we do all the logistics, and it's the only job in the world that turns from a completely creative um, slate to finishing up with a tooth- toothbrush and scrubbing toilets yeah, on your right, way out. Right. So it's the only one you go from, you have the, you get to, what I like about it is you get to use the left brain, you get to use the right side of your brain, you get to, you get to be creative and you get to use your like logistical problem solving. And because we're then the, we're then the, um, we're the representative for the company to the neighborhood, to the city, to the state, wherever we're filming. To the and it's sometimes you know it's sometimes the federal government or the state government or county or city you know it's all of those persons plus neighborhood associations and then you have to deal with the neighbors when you kind of make a movie it takes a lot of stuff to get mm, yeah. all of that done so we like to say that we bring the circus to your living room yeah and yeah. you know the interesting thing about that is obviously producers and rightfully so get a lot of credit and stuff like that but just just looking at the microcosm of of the job is sometimes there's a really important shot that needs to be made, and there's problems that the only department that can <laughs> fix this situation in order to make that shot happen that's crucial to this movie is the locations department. And I'm that's sure correct. you've dealt with that from time, and that's a sure. lot of pressure. Yeah. That is a lot of pressure when you have to dance between so many different variables, whether sure. it be the city, the neighborhood, the angry person that's, that's, that's bothering the set, to the people on your own 
show, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny is you, you, you know, sometimes you, the director sees a house, he drives by and he says, okay, I want to shoot there. And you say, great. And the owner's reluctant and you convince them and you promise them and you do contracts that guarantee you're going to return the property. And it takes weeks and they're like, no. And it takes meetings and you have to go to the neighborhood association. You meet with everybody, you meet with all the neighbors, you talk oh, to everybody, you sit there, you pay them a large sum of money and you're like, okay. And they're like, look, the only thing I care about is my rose garden. You go outside and, and then you walk in the shoot day and, and there is a crew member that is just doing their job, but they're tromping through the their hundred-year-old roses and walking. cables through <laughs> right? it. Yeah. And it's just part of the job. It is part of the thing you do, and you dive for the, you know, the guy in the way. <laughs> no, don't crotch the roses. <laughs> and they're like, hey, man, I'm just doing my job. And I'm like, oh. And they don't, you know, they don't know the backstory. They don't know all but, it took to get in there. And, and they're like, also, you know. But also, they could have, I mean, you shouldn't be, tr- you know what I mean? And for, I, I know that's probably... It's, Fortunately, I've worked with some really great crews that are also very sometimes very sensitive and very and care about it. And it's right. sometimes it's just the one guy. It's not every crew. It's no, not right. Every no, no it's department. not. But I mean, I, every time I've been on a production, we've gone into someone's house. I'm like, no, I'd never let anyone shoot in my house. Like, <laughs> there's just yeah. no way. This is yeah. too much. You know, the whole thing that that I think the philosophy that uh, that that I have and my team has and the people I work with and the people I know is we always just want to be invited back. We always want to be able to. To have that as a as an option yeah. next time somebody calls for a similar house and and uh, and we want to treat people well and you know and respect their property and and uh, and I think that most professional filmmakers and film crews understand that. Sure. Yeah, there's always a certain contingent that always the, the few bad. It's well, like with stand up, right? Somebody holds a bad stand up show, all stand up sucks now. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, there's bad people mm-hmm. on sets that just get angry at somebody for some reason. They take it out on the location or they, they take it out on the equipment. They, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that happens. But you, yeah, you don't want to broad stroke any of that stuff. It's no. just, I sorry, think, go I was going to say, I think it's a little, it's probably worse in like low budget television because. There is a lack of respect when people go into a location because every time we've tried to get, not every time, but a lot of times when we try to go into a location, they'll say, no, we just had a TV crew here. We're never doing that again. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, so I can, like, film crew, like you said, they are bigger and I think they are more self aware that how big it is. Whereas TV, it's like, whatever, we'll just make a TV, just whip this thing in here and then it's just everything gets fucked and you're like, oh, well, now now no one's ever coming back here. Yeah, and then it takes a lot of, I I can't tell you how many times I've had to deal with that. It's like, nope, sorry, some guy just came in. Crushed my wife's roses. She'll right. never do it again. <laughs> never do it. It's always the roses. Yeah. So let's. I want to. I'm going to spiral back a little bit more. Uh, where are you from? From Los Angeles, California. You are, wow. So you grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. So when was it that you were like? Uh, whereabouts in Los Angeles, by the way? Grew up in Studio City. In Studio City. My so dad lived in Hollywood. Was he in the business? Uh, my dad was a cameraman for CBS, okay. TV City, for 35 years. Oh, cool. And was that the driving force for you to want to get into the business? Did no. you visit set that much? Did you not? No, Were yeah. you the retaliatory boy that didn't really care what dad did? Like, my, give, me, give me a my, little bit of background my, on My you. parent, my mom, was a celebrity contestant coordinator on Password. Amazing. I just <laughs> and, watched um, an episode of Password the To other Tell day. the Truth. They met on To Tell the Truth in New York City and... 60s and um i like to tell people i'm an unclaimed game show prize <laughs> yeah wait was your dad a cameraman on on he that cameraman. and then okay wow in, yeah so um, hollywood romance people yeah it so, happens in new york it was kind of fun so they came back out here and and uh and surprise they had me and um and uh yeah so i grew up with my dad at 
TV city and, and my mom started one of the first product, my grandfather, my mom's father started one of the first product placement companies in, in town and, huh. and, uh, and in the, just after the war, 40s and 50s. So um, they had that. and uh, But the products were like cigarettes. And like, yeah. yeah. I, remember, like, like, I remember, remember coming home. Well, no, it was, it was weird. It was like, I remember like, like we came home, I came home and there was like a case of Blistex. Right, so like, like, and I'm not, I'm not talking about like, you know, just a small. Case. I'm talking uh-huh. about like a full crate. So yeah. like, our lips are going to be amazing thousands. forever. So we had so much ballistics around the house. We'd make rockets out of them. <laughs> I learned how to like, you know, shoot the caps. Like it was like, it was like. I remember for years, years we had ballistics everywhere, and like just things like that. And yeah, like oh, and sometimes like they're you know products would show up that were prizes that were uh but my grandfather was actually investigated for paola in oh. like in the 50s good so, yeah. during the whole mccarthy era of, of all the bad things of, of supposedly the corrupt world of <laughs> uh, of, of the hollywood business yeah. yeah yeah exactly They're all so, communists yeah right. so uh so it was funny and he my grandfather on my mom's side was, do you want to uh, clear his name right now i mean what do you want to do <laughs> well i haven't he, mentioned him he, yet so he, right. he was never, <laughs> he was never <laughs> convicted he was yeah. investigated yeah he's allegedly allegedly yeah. um and uh and but just like it was like okay, this product will end up on this television show as a uh, as a prize, and you know, I don't know how it gets there. It just did. I guess it did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he used to run like the USO um, clubs, officers clubs, I guess during World War II, because he was the guy who could get booze. So if he could get booze in the, into into the uh, Pacific Theater, he could yeah. uh, he could get Blistex on uh, password. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he was everybody's fa- he yeah. was everybody's buddy if he was bringing the booze it's into funny. the USO. Was, yeah, was a <laughs> talker on top of all that. Too. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like sounds like your grandpa had it dialed in. Like, yeah, it was, he had it figured out. It was pretty funny, so it's yeah. interesting. So you have all the, the your family's kind of dabbling in this business, but you're saying initially you so, yeah, had so, no interest. Like, so well, I was I, I think because they were in television. I, I would go and I would watch The Price is Right from the booth. I would go and I was really more excited because like, I remember uh, I went to go see The Price is Right and, and they said, you know, so-and-so, come on down. And they cut to the person and I, and I see the person's mouth go, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I was, um, I was aghast because I was like, first of all, they said the F word. Right, and yeah. second of all, I can't believe they said that on television. Yeah. And I didn't know it was a tape delay. I didn't understand. Like, and everyone's like, <laughs> well, I guess we're getting that out. And I'm like, how can they do that? What do you mean? What do you mean? Cut it Things out? Things aren't live that, to TV. What does that mean? Yeah, and so it was like, so it was kind of funny. So, and, and I think one of my earliest memories, like I was, I remember I was in in the elevator, and at work, and Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard was Ooh. in the elevator with me, and I was like, Oh, oh I, Uncle Jesse is right. Here. Where are the Duke boys, Uncle Jesse? <laughs> And like, yeah, so, so, but it was fun. It was, that's what you kind of, that was kind of cool to have that be your dad's office. <laughs> but I think I was about 12 or 13. And uh, one of my good friends, my best friend growing up, um, his dad was a first assistant director in movies. And, and we went to the set of Reconcilable Differences where he was the uh, first AD. And this is the first time you kind of did movie stuff versus This is the first television. time I'd been on a TV, on a movie, movie set. set. Okay. And I remember we were shooting in a location. It was on Ventura Boulevard. It was at a restaurant and, and uh, Drew Barrymore took us because we were kids and I think I'm a year or two older than Drew. And Drew walked us around the set because we were all kids together and she was friendly and nice and cool. And and the, there was a, um, look, okay, this is where you have craft service and look, this is where all the candy is and this is our set dog he's a three-legged dog and his name is tripod <laughs> now hold on so you just so just i want to i want to stop you right there yeah 
This is Drew Barrymore post ET, right? Post ET. Yeah. So this is this is you know ET star Drew yeah. Barrymore oh, that's yeah, taking yeah. you around. Did that matter to you, or you? No, that was exciting. Or were you? Did really, you not care? It was no. Did you pretend it, it, not I liked care? It, I was the triumvirate. It was the it was the young movie star. It was the table full of candy and the three legged dog named Tripod that yeah. just hung out on the set. Yeah, this is the best day the, of my life. Yeah. I was like, I was like, this is what I want to do with. My okay, life. so it was at that yeah. point you thought, okay, that this is it. pretty cool. That's when kind of like the whole Hollywood thing kind of caught your eye in a in a way that yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, so this happens with with Drew Barrymore. So yeah. you guys dated for how long? <laughs> yeah. I just want to make up yeah, a story we did here. Live so. in the, we did live in the same neighborhood. We ran into each other. We were we were not friends, but we would we we, we kind of you know. You know I hear all these stories. I have a question for you. I'm we jump m- around Music a bit. Plus in, in Ventura Boulevard at the time was big. So big. Music Plus was that a record store? Music Plus was a fantastic <clears throat> record store. It's now where the Trader Joe's is at Hollywood Memorial oh, Canyon. God, you know? Boo! But I have yeah. a question for you because I hear all these stories <clears throat> yeah. about. The 60s and the 70s and some of the 80s in mm-hmm. in um, outside of the valley or the valley outside of Hollywood, stuff like yeah. that, that all these people were like, oh, we were all neighborhood friends. Now, yeah. you and I have this experience, yeah. but we're not like <laughs> our neighborhood is like, what, like 15 square miles. And we, the only one, when we say neighborhood, we, yeah. it's when we meet up at school. So that's it. I've always been disconnected here in Los Angeles in respect to the neighborhood thing. Does it still exist or is that something well, that sure, went sure. away? You think about like my senior class at North Hollywood High School had 600 kids in it. That's our entire school. That, and it started out with 1,500 sophomores. Six hundred graduated, but are, but, do you, but, do you, but do you still think that that, that that neighborhood concept still exists in anywhere in Los sure. Angeles yeah, where the course. neighborhood kids all know each other and still hang out? Like yeah, that absolutely. Thing? Like okay. I, I I could go into a bar in North Hollywood today. Okay, right now, well, maybe not now. <laughs> like, but oh, is that why you had to do this? We can, we, can, we can go there tonight, and I could see <coughs> a couple friends from high school. <coughs> that, okay. Like you have that one neighborhood okay. bar that you go to, like, and when you go back home, yeah, you can see your friends. Town tap. It's here. It's on Magnolia, you know, and it's cool. It's great to go in and be like, oh my God, I haven't seen you guys in forever. And like, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting, like it's, there's small town here. It is a small town. It's, well, it's like, I only see it cause obviously I'm, I'm yeah. from Wisconsin. So I had a neighborhood and yeah. I don't really get that here. Sure. It's, it's more based it's just, on where I live. Our it's, neighborhood is just surrounded by 14 million people. Yeah. You know, it's just, you still have the same places you hang out. You still have the still same places you can go to. And, and it's kind of nice. Like, I suppose it'll change when our kids get older. Maybe I'll see yeah. the different dynamic of it. I guess at this age, because we have to cart them around everywhere sure. anyway, and we have to join them on their play dates, which yeah, I yeah. never was joined by my mom on any play time. <laughs> right. I don't know when. Get the, outside. I realized one day when I was just sitting there going, this is miserable. I don't right. have anything in common with all these little people. <laughs> and then I was like, what was it? when?" And I was like, oh, wait, I just opened the door and left. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. My mom was like, you make sure you're back by dark. That was it. That was the exact of the speech, and we were just gone for the day. Be home when the streetlights turn on. Raiding our friends whose parents weren't home, like all their candy drawers and all their ho-hos and ding-dongs and Twinkies and just drink all their soda. And And they'd be like, all right, thanks, man. We'll see you later. And look how you turned out. Yeah, yeah. Just fine. doing podcasts in a basement <laughs> with you guys. Locked so, in the like, the, what are the chains over here for? What are those? What are you, is that for the chains? Or, chains? No, the ones that you have in this. It's weird dungeon like yeah. place here. Oh, oh, oh! He's, yeah, describing, he's good. describing good radio work. Good radio work. You don't understand. What is the rack attached to the ceiling? <laughs> Stretches. It's for stretching. You've heard yeah. those things about uh, that one guy in Hollywood, right? You know that guy. Um, oh. Well, yeah, we won't like say his, his name. 
Doug works with too many famous people. We don't want to get anybody in trouble. And he never it's brought it up, but I just don't want him to have to run across it because okay. we know that all the famous people listen to our podcast. <laughs> Every, I don't want to get Doug in trouble. Anonymous, of course, famous people listen to this <laughs> because they want to know. Yeah. Um, so exactly. all right, so there it is. So you're yeah. like, I want to be in this business. Yeah. Well, now what? Thirteen years old. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. And, and uh, basically, when I went to school, I went studied film and went. You to, did study film. So where did you go to school to study film? The illustrious institution of San Diego State University. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now the why there? Powerhouse, because that was the only place you could get into um, because yeah, of your track, your drug record, or yeah, basically, okay. right. <laughs> basically, yeah, um, yeah. I was, I just stayed in state, and uh, and when you say you studied film at that time, you're like, I want to be in this business, but what yeah. did you want to be? In not a location manager. Okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't really, know, I didn't know that existed. You didn't. You know? Okay, so there's that yeah, ignorance thing yeah, again. Yeah, like, exactly. well, clearly they got. Yeah, you thought I think I was directing. You thought everybody just showed up to these places, leaning towards the uh, producer. I okay. think kind of vain, and uh, I didn't want to be. I never wanted to be an actor. I never okay. wanted to be anything like that. I knew it was definitely more behind the scenes. And uh, so when I was at school, I went to school, and it was a it was a film program that was pretty much um, it was production based. We've created a lot of camera people and sound people, and you know people of of my. Of the level, anonymous, right? the anonymous the, side. The anonymous, yeah. It was definitely, it was the, and it's the working kind of behind the, the quick scenes. scroll at the end right. of the movie. That's, That's right. what Doug's talking people. about, the quick scrolls. Yeah. Right. We, I don't, I don't, yeah, we don't have any like, uh, oh, and Steven Spielberg went to our, right. came from, you know, but it, but it was, we have a lot of good working people that work in, in, in for, that came from our, that program. And when I was there, I worked for the San Diego Film Commission, which is now defunct, they actually, but so I would, Bit, I would get into, I would be at school full time, and then I ran the commercial filming and kind of the working from the city side as well. And that was my college job as I worked for, they started out as an internship and then worked for the film commission. and uh, Which is and where you would be a, dealing with locations people, correct? Exactly. So um, the people would come to town, they would, they would say, hey, we need this, and the film commission would help them. Um, and I was an intern and, and then did commercials and print shoots and, and uh, while well, somebody else did the features and the TV, but we were four of us, five of us. So it was a, it was a, it was a nice kind of way to learn how, yeah, when a, when a, when a commercial scout comes in what they did and I would go and I would work on movies in summer. So I would go and I would come back and I would PA on movies and, and what starting when I was 19 years old and I wanted to have a you kind of a resume movie? when you oh, were your first PA movie. Sure. Yeah. Well, was it of, of any consequence or was it just whatever frozen assets with Shelley Long and Corbin Burnson, Larry Miller, Dodie Goodman, Larry Miller. Yeah. <clears throat> Larry Miller and Corbin Burnson, two of the first famous people I ever encountered. About a million five, I think was the budget on it. <clears throat> Shot in Portland, Oregon in the summer. So you had to travel as a PA. You would think Traveled they would get the PAs where they movie. went. I got paid $35 a day. Yeah, yeah. But you and felt good, right? Including housing. <clears throat> Did you in, think that in this a was city cool? That, in a city that I had knew, knew, knew very few people. I Fortunately, one of my friends from high school, his parents moved to Portland, and I got to stay with them in their house. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, wait. They, when you said didn't include housing. Oh, no. $35 a day. And then you had to put yourself up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Had to put myself. That's up. pretty risky, but but you were you you wanted to get in the game, so you yeah. didn't care. You were yeah. going to do what it took. And I was a horrible set PA. Really horrible. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Now define why. Uh, why yeah, would you say that? Like bad, define what do you mean by horrible? I, I well, first of all, I didn't like people yelling at me and telling me what to do. Uh, did you have a mustache and a cigarette <laughs> I at all times? I did okay, not. All right, so I make sure. I did not. Um, and uh, but it was cool. It was in Portland in nine. This was ninety one. I wasn't. I wasn't of legal drinking age. I had a fake ID. 
It was given to me by I had a I used a friend of mine who was uh, who was going to seminary. He was a priest, and I had you know his ID that I used. I'm done through. with this identity, Doug. There you go. <laughs> Do what I would have done if I hadn't gone down this path. Let me know how I did. I did. I did well for him. <laughs> it was the other. It was the other shoulder. Um, and uh, so I remember, like, so I, uh, and, but it was fantastic. So Portland in the summer was great. And, the <clears throat> and it was like, you know, this was like, this was, you know, this is 90, 91. <clears throat> there's a great music scene happening and developing. And oh, like, yeah. You know, it was like, it was first time I had Starbucks coffee. It was like, <laughs> 91. I don't think this I've... is insane. What? <laughs> Look, this is this is not coffee. This is this is crack. This is like <laughs> it was like it was fantastic, and uh, it was great. It was it, but but I, I think I soon realized I didn't want to be an assistant director or kind of do things like that. Like I would do things like they, I would be in a I would be in a lockup, like in a in a beautiful gorge with a with a waterfall, and like and it was like. Um, I see two hikers coming, but if I would walk, I would walk into the shot to stop if, them. To stop them. Yeah. So I'm waving my hands and I'm like, stop. And they're like looking at me like, why is this person waving their hands? And the, <laughs> I've just been on the six hour hike through this like rainforest. And why is this weird person with a, with a McDonald's mic yelling, like <laughs> yeah. waving at me without making any sound. And they, so they walk up to talk to me, cross through the shot and it's like, God, dresser, what the F is wrong with you? Why didn't you stop those people? Uh. I'm like, well, you know, it was like uh, Sophie's choice. You know, do yeah. I walk into the shot? Do I, you know, it's like this romantic moment with Corbin and Shelly. <laughs> you know, and I'd be, dun, 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 or it's these two hikers that come through. So, you know, so I was like, okay, I don't know. And then one day they delivered the sides to me. And I was in the middle of a lockup, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't. They just def- two things uh, I want to confirm real quick. Lockup is making sure that no one that's yeah. not supposed no to be in the scene is there. The shot, Sides yeah. are a smaller version of the actual of script the, for that the day. Ne- that, for the next yeah. day, yeah. Oh. right? For them to look hand at, hand copied, probably typed, set them down because I'm in my lockup. Lose them. Uh, next oh, right, because this is pre like computer no, like cranking them out. Next okay. morning, next morning, they're like, "Hey, Doug, where are the sides? They oh, delivered to them God. yesterday." And I'm like, "What are sides? I don't know. Why don't, that, um, even that, envelope, were like- <laughs> that envelope that we gave you yesterday um, on set." And I go, "Oh, I think I remember that, but I don't know." Oh my God! They were like, "Yeah, yeah, you're you're uh, you're not the set." Type, <laughs> you're not the set horrible. type. Goodbye. Yeah, so. Did you finish the movie though? Yeah, oh, I did. You did. Yeah, okay. because I was like, I was like a f- intern. I was like a thirty-five. Yeah, they weren't thing. paying. So, yeah, funny, so they sent me. So they sent me to the office and they said, "Hey, you know, we need some help. We need we need a thing where we're going to do an event." Where we need three hundred extras to show up, and there's a oh, guy. That's great. Give you something, oh, even with more right. responsibility. And there's a, there's a guy in the office who's kind of doing it himself, and he needs some help. So I said, okay, fantastic. Go into the office, and I and I walk in, and you probably know this gentleman. And I walk in. There's another intern that's there, and his name is Fermin Davalos, now a location manager. I don't know if you know. And I walk in the door, and he's got a uh, he's got a like a pressed kind of short sleeve shirt. He has a pocket protector. For me, sorry, I'm telling your story to a <laughs> podcast audience. <laughs> he's got his feet up on the desk, and he and he looks at me, and he, and he gives me the finger, like, hold on a second, hold on a second, and he says, Jimmy Fermin, hot dogs, movies, let's make them. <laughs> And he was on the phone with Oscar Mayer trying to get the guy from the local Oscar Mayer guy to give them free hot dogs for this event. And I'm like, I can't believe I just heard that come out of this guy's mouth. And this is the guy, and I go, now I see why he needs some help. Did he, did he succeed in the hot dog Na- thing? He nailed the hot dog deal. See? 
And uh, and he got like so he's he's like okay here's what we're doing we need 300 people we're not going to get these people from here we need to start something and I say okay great you know what we're going to need we're going to need some bands we're going to need music right and they go great so I start on the phone with local managers talent managers I look up in the phone book because I think that's how you did it in those days there yeah. there wasn't the intro web kids ah, and you didn't man. have cell phones. Did you have cell phones at that point? Yeah, we may have. Was it flip phones? It was, no, was it, it was like the brick phone, yeah, I think, it was at the big, time. 90, okay, but not every one. This is the brick phone. So yeah. you, not everybody yeah, had a, these, though. It was, these no, was, okay. it was a pager and a roll of dimes. yes. Did a you have pager a pager with the, with the text? A roll of dimes, <laughs> even, for the phone? A roll of dimes, oh, yeah. So did you have text pager or did you have just a regular pager? Just the alphanumeric. Just, yeah. No, come on. But phone calls were 20 cents back then, right? Yeah, I think it yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, for those Sorry, of you I mean, listening, there was a thing called pagers. <laughs> and, but uh, so, we've talked about this so, before. Right. The annoyance of having like your pager, like the uh, PAing before cell phones would have driven me insane. Oh yeah, it was, it, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Imagine communication in general before, especially for yeah. a location, right. Right? right? right. So it was. So yeah. So it was. It was kind of funny. So it, yeah, that was like you would. You would as a lo- when early on in the location career, one of the things we would do is we'd go to a neighbor's house. We'd have a folding table that location manager would keep in their car with a hundred foot phone cord. You'd go to a neighbor's. <laughs> you'd pay them a hundred dollars or fifty dollars. Oh you'd God. plug into their phone. You'd drag that cord outside a window. <laughs> put the put the folding table like the little you know TV tray with a phone on it and then the crew members would line up for that phone after they get their pages they'd line up and they'd each take turns calling the office isn't that amazing? That's how you would get communicate. That's how that is pre-cell phone oh, communications. That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, everyone would wait. And then, and then if you were on the office, you would go, hey, guys, I'm on the office. Anybody, Anybody? online with the office? They go, yeah, okay, sorry, buddy, you got bumped. You got the office. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a different time. Imagine yeah. being out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right? So like yeah. you'd have delayed responses. So if something uh-huh. needed to get done, mm-hmm. you would. I'm assuming you'd have to get in your car, drive to the closest payphone or whatever, get uh-huh. some information, drive it back to give them that. I'm assuming that that whole world has, the, the speed thing That's has. That's correct, yeah. Uh, now, now everybody needs an answer immediately. Immediately, and if you why don't get you, it. Yeah. Why haven't you, why didn't you Was there the ever phone? a situation where you where you literally had to do planes, trains, and automobiles in order to get a situation resolved because it was just no easy way to resolve it without yeah. doing that. Sure. And you, t- but you take a lot of heat for that stuff, right? Even though there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like, you know, I, yeah, it's, I remember one time I was on, was doing the movie, the Mexican in Las Vegas and we were shooting in, in a outlet mall and it was a scene with James Gandolfini and, and Julia Robertson. I had gone and I gone, went to all of the places and I got permission to film signs. We're getting ready. We're shooting the scene. It's in a food court and my cell phone rings and I answer the phone. And uh, this isn't anything to do with this, but I'm just no, thinking about instant communication. And, and it was like, hi, this is so-and-so. I'm the CEO of Nautica. And I said, okay. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for calling me. I'm yeah, good for you. Looking at your store right, right behind Julia Roberts right now. He said, um, a low-level manager of our company signed your permission slip. There and, we go. Um, you do not have permission. I'm hereby revoking any, you know, blah, 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 blah. You're not allowed to shoot our sign in our store in an outlet mall. We do not want to be associated with an outlet mall. And um, and uh, we will be sent to them. Uh, okay. And I'm like, but, I, you know, we have a signed contract. I don't know if that's, you know. And so it's uh-huh. all of a sudden, like, those kinds of things wouldn't. And we ended up resolving it, like, like by literally just putting a piece of cardboard with gray duct tape over their logo. Right. Like yeah, it was something yes. that was that in that particular situation was very easily resolved. But 
you can imagine that those kinds of things, if that communication couldn't have happened, you might have been in a lawsuit or you may yeah. have been into litigation in terms of like, even though we had, you know, you have a contract, those kinds of things have changed recently. And, and I think for the better. And, and, and sometimes like you also couldn't get the, oh, by the way, somebody's not showing up. You're out in the middle of the desert and you have, you know, and, and, oh, we need to add the scene. You know, it's like, those things were different then. You, back then, I guess you'd just go and reshoot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah it's, it's completely changed the way it's the am- film business it's works. It's amazing that works. things yeah. get made the way they are now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't imagine before all yeah. this kind of technology and communication. Sure. And- Lockups on when on set. I with, ah, the people tell me stories. I had a producer that I worked for whose first job was digging ditches for John Wayne on the Alamo. Oh, and he was <laughs> he was a legend, right? That was his first job, and he uh, and he would they would do lockups with flags and whistles. So rolling was red flags in the air and cut and, and one whistle and cut was two and you know kind of like the red light system, and that's how you would do it then. It was flags wow. and whistles. Wow. Before before walkie-talkies. I will say the biggest, for me, the biggest change I've noticed in the film business, now that we've evolved into smartphones, (laughs) because you know this, when it's like when... I would say there are moments on set where uh, 85% of the people have nothing to do, right? They've done their job. And and they they literally are looking at their cell phones. You know how that's changed? Because they play on their smartphones? No one writes on the back of set walls anymore. The the amount of like... (laughs) Graffiti. (laughs) uh, Pictures of sodomy. Yeah. uh, Fellatio. Yes. Saying who you (laughs) hate. All that stuff is gone. No one one does the things on the the back of set walls anymore. The idle time is also... It's just filled with with surfing on your phone probably too. Because I know you have a job and uh, and you do have to get to that job. A couple... let's, Let's do some rapid fire questions. Cool. Um, most ex- uh, most uh, since you've had the job, most excited person you've uh, worked with, the person you were most excited to work with, that you uh, had the opportunity to work with, and you found out about it, that you were like, okay, cool, like you could keep that still, like I'm a kid, <laughs> yay, that was cool. Uh, Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So he's, um, a, he's a good guy. It's fantastic. Dude. Yeah, you're uh, the the, the I, I know you talked about that one crazy location, but what was your, your most favorite location that you ever got to to be a part of going to? Um, that was that was pretty fantastic on uh, After Earth, the uh, fantastic movie uh, with Will Smith and uh, and where was that? It was uh, Costa Rica. Costa really Rica. That. that was the movie was uh, unfortunately uh, not what we all hoped it would be as well. But um, Moab, Utah, the giant redwoods of Humboldt, California, and uh, and the rainforest of Costa Rica. That was a, it. Was a really fantastic wow location. Yeah, Costa Rica's. Uh, amazing. Yeah, well, there I have stories about that that will go from when I come back next time. Yeah, then that, um, next time. And what, <laughs> a place that you you're okay with never going back to? Is there anything? Uh, a yeah, place where would you just never? Like, like, yeah, like, this is not really. F- when I say when I say it's not like super film friendly, it's not really just built for filming. No, we won't talk about that. Yeah, right, th- there was a time where I uh, I swear I would never go back to the Bahamas. Okay, <laughs> really? Yeah, because they kind of. At, there were some incidents that happened, but I think that those probably those days have be. changed. They try yeah. to hold all your stuff, and they got to pay more to get it out. Yeah, that not really. Yeah, stuff. kind oh, of. Yeah, okay. but, but I. Uh, but uh, you know, hopefully they've uh, they've changed their ways. It was basically it's the it was the cruise ship mentality. Same, very similar to in Kashgar, and, and where they just you know they saw an opportunity and they saw a money train and they people tried to take advantage of it. I see that you've worked quite a bit with Quentin Tarantino. I have. You, that means if you've worked with him that much, that means you have a very he, he you and he get each other as far as the styles and the looks yeah. and stuff like that. Is that how some of that sometimes that stuff works? Yeah, and and although I haven't done the last three movies, so um, sometimes the schedules and various things happen. I think uh, um, and 
but yeah, yeah, and, and the designers and, and as well as the Waskos and I work together a lot who were who are fantastic and and um, yeah, you get to know the style and 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 it was it was it's kind of interesting. Are like, they fun? Move everybody thinks that working with Quentin Tarantino is either going to be completely insane or the greatest time of your life. Correct? That's how the outsiders see it. It's probably it it's probably all of that and more. It's also the hardest. It's also like you have the most fun. You have the low, highest highs, the lowest lows. Like you, it is a grind, and it is, but it is also moments of pure joy. Douglas Dresser, thank you so much yeah, thank for you uh, very much, visiting man. us. And <laughs> yeah, I feel like I just said wow the whole time. <laughs> well, I, I, that's the thing. It's like if, you, if we go through your IMDb, it's like, oh, my God, there were so many other questions. But again, yeah. you know, we're, we're on time constraints, so maybe we'll just have you back sometime because ha- I know you have more stories. You're never, right. Oh, of course, not. obviously. Yeah. How could you not? We barely even – we, <laughs> we literally covered like I met Drew Barrymore and a three-legged dog, and the next thing I know, I was uh, working with Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Anything else, guys? Because i got to get going. Um, <laughs> can you tell us what you're, loca- what you're scouting? Um, I'm working with Alexander Payne, director of Sideways and oh, cool. Descendants and Election, and uh, we're doing a, we're prepping a new movie. So. Oh, cool! And uh, I have to pick him up in 28 minutes. Awesome! You, <laughs> you let him know. That's, that's he, yeah. Let him why know. he had to wait. He needs understand. two guys to do a podcast. He'll get it. He'll get it. Doug, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'll you. bring him with me for uh, the second one. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 